Hi, and welcome to this episode of I've Got This Kid. I'm your host, Sharina Williams, licensed speech and language pathologist, homeschooling mom of two, wife of one, here to share everything speech, language, play, development, homeschooling, and all of that other stuff that falls in between. World changers, welcome back. I hope and pray that you guys had an outstanding Thanksgiving with your families. Let me tell you, I was so thankful for spending time with my family and spending time with friends who are my chosen family and the eating. Oh my gosh, the eating. I probably ate enough for three adults. And honestly, I'm not ashamed. I'm I'm not ashamed to say that I went a little bit crazy this year, but, but, but (laughs) to my defense, I made sure to keep up with my walking and to keep up with, you know, my movement to keep stuff in the balance. So I don't get like that shady holiday 15 that I've gotten in the past. Okay. Maybe like five or 10, but even still, I don't want it. I don't want the extra, but I've been eating the extra. So I've been trying to make sure to balance it out. But even with all that eating, even with all the craziness, I am most grateful for the release of my new book during the time that we were off. Watch me connecting to your child through play. And it's so funny because I keep getting questions about why did you write a book about play? Of all the things that you could have talked about, why play? And my first question is, have you not listened to this podcast And maybe not, but (laughs) why not play? Like for me, it's why not play? It's totally an obvious thing for me, but I can also see why somebody else would be like, well, why didn't you talk about language? And why didn't you talk about speech delays? Or why didn't you talk about something extremely clinic-y? And I totally made that word clinic-y up. And I was so excited when I did, because I think that for me, Play is one of those things that hits on all of those clinic-y things. And so today, y'all, we are going to talk about why I love this book, why I wrote this book, and why I think you'll love it too. So first things first, why play? Well, like our sugars learn through play. They explore, they think, they do. I mean, think about that infant sitting in that high chair. And if you took like some keys or something or anything shiny or something that, you know, they usually don't have no business putting their hands on, but that's the thing that they usually want, right? And so if you took that thing and you dropped it down, chances are they're going to be looking at that and looking for you to give it to them. And then when you give it to them, guess what they're going to do? They're going to drop it down. And then they're going to do what again after you give it back to them? drop it down. And so that's like that early building block of play. Even if you had nothing around and you were like close to them face to face and you were like, peekaboo, I see you. And you cover your face with your hands and then you show your face and they're like cracking up. That's early play. And so many things come out of those very small actions, those intentional actions that we don't even realize are like meant to be part of the bigger picture. I'm a bigger picture kind of girl. I like the small stuff, but I like looking at the bigger picture. And so this is why I play. Because when we take those keys and we drop them down, right? What's happening is you're looking at the keys, Sugar's looking at the keys, and you guys are doing the same thing at the same time. That's joint attention. When you're playing peekaboo with Sugar and you're covering up your face and they're looking at you, you're building up their attention to look at you. 
Not only are you building up their attention to look at you, you're also providing a model of language for them when you're like, peekaboo, you're giving them those early developing sounds. Those are like the P and peak and the B and boo. Those are like some of the first sounds that we expect our two-year-olds to master. Didn't know that, right? But this is why we do that stuff. And we don't even know that we're doing that stuff and that we are creating like this awesome foundation for our little sugars. And it's through those, again, little actions. And so not only does it build the blocks for our pre-language and the social skills and the language development and the reading and the writing later on, anything that we want to teach our little sugar Anything that you can think of that you want to teach your sugar, it happens through play. And this is some things that comes out of it. And this is not like an exhaustive list. I could have kept going on and on and on and on. Like I am such a firm believer in the magic and the power of play. One, we can bond with our sugar. There is nothing more special than bonding with our sugar, than making that connection, that special connection that's so beautiful that when you guys look at each other from across the room, there's something there. There's something that clicked. There's something that happened there to where you guys just get each other. You totally get each other. And that happens during this age, during those interactions, during those funny moments, during those nuances through play. We learn our sugar's character. We learn what kind of play they like. We learn how they like to be engaged. We learn what makes them tick. We kind of even get a, a little bit of a, a view into like how they think their cognition, their thinking skills, how they're reasoning and problem solving. And a lot of times you'll hear during this time, my sugar's really smart. And they probably are because what they're really good at, you've noticed. And you're watching them refine that area and master that area. And it's done when? When they're little, when they're infants, when they're toddlers, and we're, we're watching and we're observing them. But something happens. And I'm, I'm going a little off track, but I promise I'll get back on. But something happens with us world changers. Once our sugars aren't little helpless infants anymore. Sometimes it happens around that language boom time when we feel like we've established everything that needs to be established because they're talking, they're walking, they're playing, they're doing. We kind of take ourselves out of the picture. And honestly, world changer, that is the wrong time to take ourselves out of the picture because this is the time that they're really starting to need us to help expand what they're learning, expand that language, expand the thinking and expand those processes. And so that's why play is so important because we're able to do that in that moment. We can also teach them character. We can teach and build up and shape their character based on what we value, based on what we believe, based on what's appropriate, based on what's not appropriate. That's that social skills stuff, right? That I talked about earlier, like this falls under that umbrella of social skills, the bonding, the learning their character, the teaching the character, and then the next one, oh, you guys love this one, deflecting unwanted behaviors. I even talk about in the book, there's a whole section committed to how to communicate with your sugar when you don't like what they're doing in a way to where you could be clear and direct with them because we need to teach them. And just saying no or becoming so explosive or deflecting in a way to where we just kind of deflect the behavior, but we don't deal with the behavior, but we can teach them 
in a way that's methodical on how to deflect it, on how to kind of get rid of that unwanted stuff and build in what we really do want. And most importantly, the why, because at that age, they want to know why. Another thing that we can teach is boundaries. Boundaries. This is okay. This is not okay. I like this. I don't like this. Yes, it's cool to do this. It is never cool to do that. Or it's not cool to do that to your friend. It's not cool to do that to me. Or it's okay for you to do that to a friend. It is not okay to do that with me. And so this is where boundaries and no and all of that stuff, it really gets taught and built in. Like, no, you may not just take a toy out of her hand. No, you may not just take a toy out of my hand. That is not nice. Look at the look on my face. It is not a happy look on my face, right? And so we we get to use that time to build in those things, right? And we can also scaffold, and that's just a fancy way of like looking through and looking at what they actually know. It's kind of like auditing or, or taking inventory of what sugar knows. What is it they know? And not asking them, what is this? What is that? What is this? What is that? We don't do that. We stay away from that. That's a quizzing thing. I talk about that as well. Like we really don't want to quiz our sugars to the point of where they're just giving us information, but it's not necessarily in a fun way. It's just kind of finding out what they know, but it's not really digging in there deep to find out what they know. We can also put new language in. And what I mean by putting new language in, say for example, sugar has those keys and and you guys are just kind of playing around with the keys, right? And sugar says key and You take the keys back and you say, yeah, my key. I'm going to shake the keys. Shake, shake, shake. You've taught them a new word. And then you give it to them. And then they're going to like shake it around. And then you say to them again while they're shaking it, shake, 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 shake the keys. And so now they're like building up what the word is, how to like attach an action to it. And what happens when that actual action takes place? And so let's say that you take the keys back from them and then you say, oh, hide the keys behind me. So now you've given them a a preposition, right? Behind. The keys are behind me. They're no longer in front. Oh, the keys are in front of me. You put them back in front of you. Oh, they're behind me. Oh, they're on my head. And so now, again, not only are you building that joint attention, but you're building in that language. And I guarantee if you give those keys back to Sugar, Sugar's gonna put those keys somewhere. They're gonna try to put them up. They're gonna try to put them down. They're gonna try to put them around. I don't recommend doing this with keys, probably do it with a ball or something else. Cause if the keys fall on Sugar's head, that's a whole nother problem that you do not want to deal with. So be careful with that, right? Use wisdom around it. We'll say use wisdom. Another thing that you can do during that time, let's say instead of the keys, now we have a ball. We can teach sharing during that time. My turn, hold ball. And then you give it back. Oh, your turn, you hold ball. And then you get it back. Oh, my turn and make it fun. Oh, your turn. Especially if they're not great at sharing and you know that they're gonna like crumble and you see it on their face that they're about to crumble. You do it really fast. Oh, it's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. Oh, it's your turn. Oh, it's my turn. My turn, yay. Your turn, yay. And you just keep celebrating through that because you're building in that sharing piece, but you're also teaching them that I might take a turn, but you're going to get a turn too. And you can even reinforce for them during that time. That was such a good job. Oh my gosh. I know that you did not like sharing that ball with me, but you did a phenomenal job sharing. Even if they did poorly, like still (laughs) encourage that, like give them something, help them start somewhere. Don't, don't tell them like, oh my gosh, you, you just like totally like 
nailed it, you know, like bombed it. Don't discourage sugar. Try to encourage them as best as you can. Now, if they do something that has a little shade on it, like takes the ball and like hides it under them, or they start doing some craziness, like runs off with the ball, then you could say like, I don't like that. No, thank you. I thought we were doing together. What happened? Are you all done playing with me? All right, I'm going to go do my own thing then. So you can kind of have those moments to where you express yourself without expressing yourself in a way to where they're not going to necessarily want to come back and play with you again. During play, we can also teach storytelling. I love storytelling. I love a good story. I love telling a good story. I love reading a good story. I love writing a good story. And I love playing out a good story. This can be done with just about everything and anything, because guess what? I have done it with just about everything and anything. I will take a block and make a story about that. I'll turn a block into a whole human. I'll turn a block into a car. They'll have a car family, the block family. They'll become a dinosaur. They'll become a bird. Whatever it is that I imagine, I will create a story out of it. And just a really simple story because it's fun. It's so much fun and it teaches our sugars that they don't always have to rely on YouTube or TV or something else in order to create this wonderful place with all of these players in it and some drama and some funny and some action and some whatever. Like they can do that and you can even build into that. Okay, what happened first? What happened next? Oh man, and then what happened? And make it fun for them and make it fun for you and let them just flesh that out. Even if it's a poor story, like who cares? It's the idea that they're thinking. It's the idea that they're thinking about things. They're thinking about a person outside of themselves and being able to attach an emotion or a feeling to that, or they're taking their own personal feelings and attaching it to an item. How much more magical is that? How much more magical can that be? I'm telling you, that stuff is fun. We can create and build art. I love creating. I love building. I've talked about it before. I love cardboard. Cardboard is like the best thing that you can build anything out of. Like the possibilities are endless. And it kind of goes into that same concept of you can create and build and think and do with what it is that you have around and whatever it is that you have available. And honestly, during play, during all this time, why play? We can then decrease gaps in development. So as we're building in those areas that may not be that strong, you think about the ball and the little sugar who may not have a whole lot of language, but if you start describing to them, roll the ball, bounce the ball, your turn, my turn, Not only are you teaching receptive language, you're also teaching expressive language, building actions into real tangible things that mean something to them. When you start thinking about in front, behind, you're building in prepositions in their vocabulary. Where's ball? Ball's in, ball's out, ball's behind me. You're going to bounce the ball. Are you going to put it in the box or are you going to bounce it? Show me, right? And so you're building that in. And you're naturally building it in in a way that's super fun and it's not quizzing them and it's not making them feel like all you're trying to do is get information in me and out of me, like that unnatural exchange. And you think about this during this time, the more we are allowed to let our sugars explore, the more we let them develop their imagination, 
they're going to later use those tools. Those tools are going to be used later. We even use those tools. What we learn during play as kids are things that we still use in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. How you create, how you build, how you think. When I was a kid, I used to have a, a closet and I would sit in my closet and I would take my books and I would like read the books and I would stamp them in and out. <laughs> and I had like a whole business. In my mind, I was the business owner and I had all of these things going on, my whole little business. And I had my employees, they were like my bears and all this stuff. I had this whole shebang going on. And that's how I played. That's straight up how I played. And then I had Barbies and I would take <laughs> uh, shoe boxes because my mom was like, I'm not buying a car because when you had the car, you, you had the car, the Corvette, and you turned it into a Jeep. You totally destroyed it. So she was like, I'm not buying any more of that. And so I'd use shoe boxes and I would like take rubber bands and use those as seatbelts to keep Barbie in or else Barbie will fall out. And I would come up with all this crazy, insane stuff. And I would just make ways out of things that almost seemed impossible. Kind of like what I do now. And you do that and you use that. My husband, he used to build Legos all the time. And what does he do now? engineer like we use that stuff we use it later and the more we're able to refine that and develop that and if we have somebody kind of pulling in and pulling out of us then it gets heightened and we explore and we imagine more and a lot of the barriers and the boundaries get taken off of us and for our little sugars who may need a little bit more time to master areas, this gives them that time to not only build up the area that's not necessarily their best area, it also builds on the things that are good. And so it's not necessarily we're using play to just decrease gaps. We're also using it to build on what they're already good at. And we want to find that balance. Like we don't want to stay away from one and do the other. And we don't want to do all of one and not do the other. We really want to find that sweet spot and do both. Right. So that's important. And it's important for us to pull from that. Not only is the play space important, but how we structure our play space is important. And I know you're probably looking at me shifty eyed right now. Like, why is that important? And who the heck cares about a play space? Let me tell you, <laughs> you got to think about it. I'm going to give you a story. I said I like stories earlier. Look at that. So imagine this. Imagine you go to the grocery store and you buy all these groceries. Let's say that you've got five sacks full of groceries. You take the time going through the aisles, you find your favorite things and you bring them home. This is after a long day of doing everything else that you've done, right? When you get home, you take out all of the groceries, all of them, and you leave them everywhere they landed. You did not put not a single grocery away. Not a nothing. No butter, no chicken, no shrimp. Everything stayed out. The macaronis, the pastas, everything is out. The milk, the tofu, everything was out. And you just left it there all over the place. Would, would you do that? Probably not, right? You put it back in its respective place. And let's say, let's say that you decided to put it away. The food all went away, but you kind of put it everywhere. I mean, the chicken ended up in the cabinet, the shrimp ended up in the drawer, the salt was in the freezer. I mean, it was a whole hot mess. It was all over the place, right? Now, imagine if the entire kitchen was that way and you're like, hey, I think it's a good time to cook. 
And so as soon as you're like, hey, let me find, let me go, you know, to my refrigerator. I'm going to walk on over and I'm going to find the chicken. It's not there. Okay. No problem. Look around a little more, find it in that cabinet, praying over that chicken anyway, <laughs> but you find it and then you start cooking it. You prepare it and you're like, hmm, where's the salt? Can't find it. Where is it? Who knows? Uh, check the freezer. That's the first place I always look. And so you think about this process, right? And I know it sounds insane. I know it sounds insane. I know it sounds extreme. But the point that I'm getting at is if you try to cook in those conditions, navigating that, navigating through that would be close to impossible. You would drive yourself crazy trying to go from drawers to cabinets to this, to that, to, you know, refrigerators to freezers and stuff is all over the place. And you think about it, some items would get ruined along the way because obviously chicken doesn't belong in cabinets and neither does shrimp belong in drawers and salt in freezers. Like that's a whole situation. You would have a hard time focusing, attending and committing to even making that meal. The same holds true with a play space. If you have everything everywhere, Lego is with Barbie and Barbie is with the ball and the ball is with this and it's all over the floor and it's everywhere. Who can think in that? (laughs) Who can think in that? Who can get organized? Who can attend to one thing when everything is everywhere? Or if everything is just all over the floor and there's books on top of stuff on top of this, on top of that, and there's just everything is everywhere. It's really hard to focus in that space. And yeah, the sugar is going to go in there and they're going to engage that space to a certain level, to a certain degree, but they're not going to get as much out of it as they could if things were neatly and nicely organized and put away in a way to where they can attend, to where they can focus, to where they can engage. And not only that, for for your sanity so you're not stepping on legos they really hurt like if you oh my gosh in metal cars oh forget about it oh you step on a metal car and it has like the the fin the uh not the fin the what do you call those the spoiler on the back and you step on it oh my gosh it's painful it's really painful i've been there So I'm just saying, like, for all of those reasons and the added incentive of not feeling what I just felt in that moment, thinking about my son's toys on the floor when he doesn't get his stuff up and I walk by and and my foot falls victim, it literally victim to one of his toys. You can save yourself that. You can really save yourself that. And the second reason that we really want to keep our play space organized is let's go back to the recipe thing, right? Sometimes you have this meal that you've cooked a million times. And I mean, it's like your jam. It's your thing. It's your go-to. It is your everything. And you've cooked it so many times that you could write it down on a post-it if somebody asks. You could cook it if you were blindfolded. You know how it's supposed to smell. You know how it's supposed to taste. You know when you taste it, if something's missing, you've made it that many times. There's that recipe, right? But there's other meals that you attempt that you might not have. You might just, you you just might not be there yet, right? I feel that way about Grandma Gladys's dressing. Oh my gosh, she makes a mean dressing. And for the life of me, even with the recipe, it turns out terrible when I try to make it. So I don't even 
touch that anymore unless I'm eating hers at her house. But I say all that to say this is us in that space when we're trying to engage with play with our sugar sometimes. Some things we really know based on our own experience and based on what we've observed over time, what we've learned to do, and we do really good at that, right? Other things, other areas, you know, we may not quite have it all. We may not know it all. We may need some additional tools in the box to help us become more intentional, more prepared, able to mix things up so we're not kind of doing the same thing over and over again, becoming monotonous. Like if you've played go up and down the slide with a car for two weeks in a row, you don't want to do it anymore. Right. And so you need to know how to switch stuff up in a way and also how to build upon when your sugar has mastered something, how to get them to that next thing. Right. And how to elevate that thing that they're doing to where they're still challenged and they're still thinking and they're still doing. And it's cool to have the old stuff, but you also want to try to do the, the same, like the new stuff. You don't want to do the same without having something new to build on. And so that's why we really want to make sure that we have a tool. And that's what this book is to me. It's a tool, not to necessarily fix everything, but to be something that teaches you how to use language how to seek out information, how to have fun and how to like, how not to quiz, you know, how to really make stuff fun and meaningful for you and for sugar. And so now that you have a clear gauge on that, right? You might be wanting to know, well, how do I do all this? Like, this sounds magical. This sounds amazing. And I am one to say you put one foot in front of the other. One of the hardest things for us to do, world changers, is doing. Like we have become we are we do a good job at supplying ourselves with stuff giving ourselves tangible tools and what i mean by a tangible tool is like we'll buy toys because buying toys is pretty simple we'll clean and organize the play space we'll make those commitments because those are beneficial and it doesn't take commitment it doesn't take the day in the day out the grueling right it's i'm one and done i go to the store i buy the toys and then it's over with i clean up this play space i organize it and i don't have to do it anymore until the next time but you know what i mean like once you have a system in place it's in place and honestly it's because we say we're busy we're tired we're consumed and we are i'm not saying that we are not we don't have the time time is a hard thing to come across nowadays and sometimes we just don't think that play is for us anymore. Like there's even this movie where this guy was like, I don't, I quit school because of recess. I don't play no games. Like (laughs) he was being funny. It was in an argument, but it was really funny that he said that because I think of this, we honestly sometimes feel like play is no longer our thing. Like kids play, adults don't play. Adults don't have a space for play. Like it's silly. It's, it's, it's loaded with things that are, I've grown out of that. I've done that before. And it's so far from the truth for one Everybody needs a little bit of fun, a little bit of play, a little bit of letting your inhibitions go, no matter what it is. But I want you to think about it like this, y'all. If I had this house, right? And this house had this yard and the yard was fabulous. I mean to say, it was huge. And you make the decision or I make the decision and I make the decision to build this garden on my yard at my house. And I hire a landscaper. I get a landscaper. I even go through the trouble of interviewing these landscapers, reviewing them, talking to other people who use their services about the landscaper to make sure 
that my yard got the best of the best of the best, the best that I could provide, right? Everybody's best is different. But I went through all of this trouble and I choose this, this landscape architect, renowned. And they tend to my yard. They, they prune it. They nurture it. They care for it. They even set up the watering system for it. So I barely have to feed it. And one day, my wonderful yard turns into a beautiful garden and it wins an award. It wins an award because it just, it was all the rave. It was just wonderful. It was beautiful. It was noticeable. And the reporter asked me, um, tell me about your garden. And I might say something like, well, I walk through my garden every day. I smell the flowers. I even watch it closely. I give the garden everything it needs to make sure that it thrives. It, it is beautiful. And the interviewer might kind of look at me and, and smile and say, well, yeah, that's great. But tell me about the plants. Tell me about the flowers. How do you care for it? What makes it thrive? What plants need the sun? Are they annuals? Are they perennials? Like, tell me about the garden. Like, I understand that you have it, but tell me about it. Like, what makes it it? What makes it click? I might look at that same reporter a little bit befuddled and say, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. But, but I can rest assure you this, it is beautiful and I know it is thriving and I know that it is well because of the fruit it produces and I take care of it. Now imagine if that garden was your sugar. We spend so much time putting all of these wonderful things in place for our sugars. We really do. We put clothes in place. We put shelter in place. We put the best schools in place. We put the best opportunities in place. We put their interest in place, in play, right? Their social activities. We put all of these things in play. And all of these outsiders who are wonderful people, they're not horrible people, just like the landscape architect. He didn't do anything wrong. He was great. He was good at his job. Got my whole garden an award, right? Helped him build up. But I didn't know my child. I didn't know my garden. I didn't know that thing for myself because I didn't spend the time with it to learn it. And so while I have this beautiful thing, my child, I may not have that interpersonal relationship with it. And so this is why I'm challenging you guys, because I want you to know how to play with your sugar, how to deal with them when they don't want to engage. What does it take to go through all of the dirty work and to support the team that's around your sugar to go through this process so you can advocate and talk about them on their behalf? And you know how to nurture them and you know how to engage them and you know how to tend to them because it's so important that we know how to communicate with our sugars, that we know how to talk with them. Are we talking too fast? Are we talking too slow? What kind of, what's their favorite go-to toy? How, why do they like that toy? You might see them with the cars all the time, but why? What is it they like doing with it? Are they just crashing it around? Do you know why, right? And so we wanna go deep with that. And honestly, the time that we think that it takes to do all this 
it don't take all that. It, it can take 10 minutes a day. I usually recommend as a starting point, five to seven minutes. If you can just start with five to seven minutes and commit five to seven minutes every day, that starting point can be the make or break thing. And it can change things. And your sugar, at the end of the day, they're going to get what they need to be academically successful for the most part, because our system is designed to do that. But those bigger picture things, the bigger picture things, we can be a part of that. We can totally be a part of that. And so I talk about how we can, not just why we should, but how we can in quick, fun, easy ways. And the coolest part about it is it's not just through play that this stuff can be applied. This is stuff that you can be doing in the car. This is stuff that you can be applying in a grocery store. This is stuff that you can apply throughout the day, just little tips and strategies just to tweak things on how we're engaging with our sugars and what we're doing to make sure that we're tightly connected. And so not only was it important for me, for you to know what to do, why we're doing it, but also to track how do I even know if this is working? So I'm a tool kind of girl. So I provide tools to track play progress and language progress and speech progress and red flag behaviors. It's all quick and easy. It's all quick and easy. And because I know that we're in a society now to where most of the time we don't have time for 200 pages of theory and stuff that leaves us with, okay, now that I know this, now what am I supposed to do with it? And so I don't want us to be in that position anymore. I really want us to know what the heck can I do? Bare minimum, what can I do? In a quick, fun, simple way. Tell me what to do. That's what this is. So world changers, let's keep doing this, right? I chose play at the end of the day because it's your foundation. It's your sugar's foundation. It's the building block for you guys' relationship that is going to last forever. Not only do you get the benefit of bonding with your sugar, you also get a front row seat in watching how they grow, how they develop their interest in their progress. Again, think about it like the garden. You can have a gardener create a great yard that you can enjoy looking at, that you can enjoy walking through, that you can enjoy essentially, right? Especially if it's on your property, it belongs to you, right? So think about that, that tiny seed, right? Think about if you were the one to plant that seed. Think about if you were the one to nurture that seed. Think about if you were the one to kind of get things wrong one day and you went to, to the plant shop and you got some help. Think about the books that you read. Think about the community that also was interested in learning how to nurture and cultivate plants who've done it before you. You gain that knowledge through hands-on experience. And the gratification of watching that plant in that garden grow with your own hands, there's nothing more beautiful than that world changer. And there's nothing more rewarding than that. And yeah, it takes work, but your sugar is worth it. And so are you. So I hope that answers your questions about why I wrote an entire book about play. I care so much about you and your sugar connecting through play, growing in your relationship and learning throughout the process because you guys both have something really special to share with each other that nobody else can share. Like you have something to give to them and they have something to give to you. And it's through those interpersonal moments that you guys have together that you guys find that special tick that makes your bond unique. And I encourage you to do this with all the sugars, any sugar in your house, do that, take that extra step. So I encourage you to purchase this book as a tool to help you and your sugar build that garden together. And join me next week where I'm going to be talking about 
Christmas and sharing Sharina's favorite things. I am going to share everything about favorite toys, favorite activities, and favorite ways that you can engage. I'm going to be bringing some stuff to life for y'all world changers. Y'all know, I believe no matter what I mention on this list, and it's not going to be just a bunch of toys that you pick up at the store. I'm warning you now. I'm not even, y'all already know. I'm not going there. I believe the best gift that you could give is you, and I'm going to teach us some ways how we can give us and do it in a fun and meaningful way. So tune in for that next week. It's going to be a blast. If you have any questions related to this episode or any past episodes or anything related to speech, language, play, development, homeschooling, and everything that falls in between, please send them in to me at questions at I've got this I would love to hear from you. Also, after you purchase your copy of Watch Me, Connecting to Your Child Through Play, share your favorite part of the story on social media. Take a picture with your book. Post that. I want to see you. I want, Even if it's the Kindle version, you better put that computer next to you and smile real hard and tell me, how did it go? What did you love about the book? What did you use? What did you use? I can't wait to hear what you guys use because I am excited about this book. I'm telling you guys, I use some of this stuff in clinic. That word bank and the language milestones, forget about it. I totally use that stuff. So tell me what works for you. Tell me what didn't work for you. Tell me what you want to know more about. I want to hear from you. Movements are only made if we continue to move stuff around. So let's continue to move this thing because we want to see this book move and help others along the way because that's what this is all about. Also, if you haven't had the chance, check out my updated website at I'veGotThisKid.com. My team, they worked so hard to make sure that I am intentional about connecting with you and growing with you and learning with you. You'll find a bunch of opportunities for classes, events, and webinars. So go ahead and check that out when you have a chance. Everything that I've mentioned can be found in the show notes below. Until the next time, world changers, take care.